Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from Paul's first letter to Timothy. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Is, is what the world needs to see, but more or less 
as an individual, we can uh, display what we believe at work, all of our neighbors, our children, driving through to get a coffee or a hamburger, and then also corporately, what the church believes is going to be seen uh, in, in the, the development of the church itself. So, never is it going to be totally easy. It's not easy being a Christian. Jesus said, to the disciples, I sent you out as people among wolves, so you can dress there. But also, you're going to have troubles in the world, but if you're a good cure, the world. So, he's warning us that there's going to be troubles. You think of the church, it's going to come uh, upon some times where, you know, there's, um, there's attacks from the enemy, from without and within. And it's how we deal with these things that's so important. And here, because we belong to the Lord again, it's also the church, we're going to minister to one another. We're going to minister to one another how we teach the code, how we conduct ourselves. And not only as the church, but as leaders, as we're going to see today, how they might conduct themselves as being leaders. What comes, you know, out of their life? What are they displaying in their lives? And it's not just here at the church, but it's at home as well. And so, uh, we come to this place about church leadership. And yes, it is important for the church, but it's also important for the world. And I'll kind of just touch on that maybe as we close, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of mention that. But it's important, important for the world to have good leadership in the church, but it's important for the church to have good leadership in the church, a strong leadership. Leadership is going to stick to the, the Word of God. And so, uh, you know, there is this side that will say that. Many have uh, abused their positions for personal gain or for their pleasures, but it doesn't negate the responsibility of the church and its leaders to step up and handle things in a biblical manner. And so we have God's word to live by, and we need to make sure that we're living according to it so that, uh, you know, when things do happen, well, guess what? We're going to fall back on the word of God. And so in Ephesus, we have this time where Paul the Apostle again. He's looking out, and there may have been some who, not only in Ephesus, but even today, we can see it today, that as they serve in the leadership, they may have mixed motives, you know. Again, their motives might be something other than Christ-centered, or they have, you know, as it's often said, you give a person a title, and he really seems to get out of it. You know, they, they become a pastor, or they're, they're named an elder, they're a deacon, or they're, you know, a leader of this, or a leader of that. You really see how they react. Titles change things, it kind of strengthens things, if you will. But Paul here is addressing these things, and then he's going to tell Timothy how to deal with the potential problems that that are there, that, you know, how they may see leaders and how leaders are to conduct themselves in the church. And remember, this has been the theme of the letter for the church, is so that we would know as a body how we're to conduct ourselves in the house of God, how we're to behave. In the house of God, how we're to get along in the house of God, and all these things that would, would go on and on and on. Well, you know, we, we saw that Paul was stressing and, and pointing out, commanding Timothy uh, to take care of the widows, to out of race leadership, you know, or whatever the qualifications of leaders are. He was talking about you know, how we're to be men of prayer, in the church of prayer, and then also sticking to the doctrine that is so important. And so, we pick it up here, and Paul's going to cover three things in our text. He's going to cover compensation, he's going to cover accusation, and then he's going to cover ordination. This is the 
the time in the community that we live in is we're not speaking to the Word of God. And so Paul is going to uh, command Timothy to do some things here. And keep in mind that these are standards that Paul would even see for himself. They're not standards that he's just telling others to live by, but they're standards that he himself would live by, and that Timothy is, is to do for his own life. You're to live by these things, and your leaders are to live by these examples. And so, here you have Timothy being young, being young in the ministry, and, and you know, I don't know if there was a point of persuasion for a younger pastor, in, you know, in the house to be persuaded by the older congregation or by the numbers of congregation or whatever it might be. But uh, you know what? The standard was going to be the same. And if any pastor at any age, at any time, is going to come across these oppositions in his calling, to his calling, or opposition where, you know, people are going to kind of thrive in the back of the sanctuary or the back of the children's ministry or whatever it might be, there's going to be these attacks out there to where people, you know, opposition will be there. Whether the you know, some pastors are outnumbered, you know, they, people get a coup in there and they, you know, they just want to, I we don't like the pastor, we don't like the number of the guy, or whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, there's just people who get upset. So Timothy is given this responsibility and he says he's doing through completion without lowering the standard for its leadership. This is what it is. And so let's look at the first thing that Paul points out here in verse 17. He's going to talk about compensation for the pastor and the elders. In verse 17, it says, let the elders. Now, this is different from verse 1 uh, of chapter 5, where he talked about, you know, do not rebuke an older man. This is talking about those who are in the office, those pastors, those elders that are there, those people that have answered the call of God uh, in their lives. So, he says of them, uh, let the rule of the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor especially those who labor in the Word and in the doctrine. Paul writes three things here concerning their conduct. He says, number one, they have to rule well. You've got to rule well. And then the phrase here, the rule well, is the same as the qualifications when an elder would come into uh, office, the qualifications for an elder, that they would rule their own house well. And so the same thing is here that he's talking about. Not rule and lording over people and saying, you know, thinking that you've got to be the Holy Spirit in their lives and you've got to make decisions for them. You've got to tell them what kind of car to buy and what kind of house to live in and how much they should give and all this. Not what an elder is calling them. It is to rule well in humility for the body of Christ and to the body of Christ. And they're not to be too heavy handed on the body of Christ. And so again, what Paul is referring to here is that pastors and elders, they're not necessarily to have this tight grip on the body. It's not our responsibility. Those who come to Christ have the Holy Spirit in them. And it's how we, as individuals, develop that walk with the Lord, how we grow in that walk with the Lord. We're going to hear God just fine. But we come together corporately and, uh, you know, we're called by God that we should be there as a body, hanging out together, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. But we're not here necessarily, again, have a tight grip on the body of Christ. But we are to, we're to stand beside 
And the guy was called upon, give wisdom, maybe some direction if somebody needs that. But noticeably, uh, when, when times become noticeable, if their uh, families are in trouble, their families need some direction, that's a wonderful time. But for a pastor, there may be times that we have to warn somebody of a certain situation. And we'll watch the consequences of that. So watch out for that, you know. And it's to be done in love. We're speaking to people in love. But we're not going to get the Lord over somebody. It's just not the way it is. So, again, it refers to referring to leading uh, one's household. You know, you lead that household. You're raising your children. Well, you have a heart for them. You're living in humility in your own home. But it's the same thing that comes with publicity. What's happening in the church is uh, the same thing that should happen at home or what happening at home should happen in the church. The second thing that Paul points out here is they labor in the word and doctrine. See, these men are to be men that devote themselves and devote their lives to the word of God. They're to devote themselves to the Lord seeking direction from the Lord. And how do you do that? It's prayer and in the Word of God. The Word of not only for themselves, but for their families and for the church. They're, they're not coming up with the next greatest idea of how to grow the church, and this might work to grow the church, and that might work, you know, hey, let's try it, hey, let's try it, you know, we're not into good ideas. We're not into boards with big wheels, kind of like the Philistine mentality. We're not into all these things. We need to be uh, into men that are seeking God and seeking His Word out. What does God have for us? You know, what are the things that He wants us to do? See, we need to follow, and as we follow the Lord, then He's going to give direction. And it's a lot easier to lead when He has direction. I remember in Acts 2.42, you guys remember that passage so familiar, especially uh, amongst the Calvary chapels. It says that they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine, making it very close to the prayer. They continued in these things. It's interesting because the Apostles' Doctrine at that time well, it was confirming what the Old Testament said. So it's like Jesus came and he fulfilled all of that Old Testament uh, prophecies of his coming. And then we dealt with the Apostles. But look at that and say, listen, this is confirmation. So it didn't get away from the Old Testament. It was actually bringing the two together to say, look, this is the answer to all of these prophecies that have come before and so it was Jesus Christ that the whole uh, Apostle's doctrine was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I mean, that so needs to be the reminder in our messages. That's what it's all about. It's about Jesus. It's about Him. He's crucified. He died. He rose again. What else do we need to know? Well, there's a whole Bible that will grab our lives and, you know, will mold our lives into, into the Word of God. But that's the Apostle's doctrine, and that's what needs to be. Before for us, we need to lift up Jesus Christ so that men can be saved. We need to disciple by the Word of God. And it's not by, you know, really new stuff that's out there. I have, we're, not in, we're not to draw people because we feel like we want to draw people. I mean, I want, I'd love to see the world get saved. Or the people right here, they know my heart for the unseen, that they, they would get saved. That their lives would be changed, that they would see, face and see as the Lord has said. But we don't have to come up with anything funny or anything fancy or anything that's, you know, thrilling. We come up with Jesus Christ. And we lift His name up. And we stick to the Word of God and we stick to doctrine. The doctrine that is 
always been there. The doctrine that Paul simply crushes pages. And so, remember in Nehemiah's day, coming out of captivity, and Nehemiah and Ezra would stand up, and it said on the first day of the month that Ezra started reading from the, the Word of God, and people began to weep because they found themselves in that place to where, wow, I can't believe it. This is why we this is we, we were in captivity because we disobeyed the, the Lord. And now we're coming back to our captivity. We need to get back to the things of God. And so you think of all the weeping, all the crying, all the repenting, all the stuff going on in Nehemiah, Daniel chapter 8. It says later on in the uh, 13th verse, it says, now the second day, I love that, and I love putting out the second day, the heads of the fathers, houses, this is the leaders of all the people with the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra, the scribe, in order to understand the word of the law. And they found written in the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in Jews uh, during the feast of the seventh month. So, you know, the, the important thing was, okay, God was moving to make on the first day of the month, so what did they do? Let's come up with something new. So, no, they did exactly forecasted in Acts chapter 2. They continued in the Word of God. And what they found in the Word of God is what they should do. So, we can't expect as church leaders, can't expect to direct God's people without being men who are seeking direction from God, from His Word, and being faithful to that. And so, uh, every elder... I think everybody, man and woman, should have this, but every other, especially, we need to be men with a working knowledge of the Word of God. So, our people are going to come up, they're going to need to hey, what about this? And if we don't have the answer, it's like, well, let me pray about this. Let me get back to you on that. But we're dedicated, we want to be dedicated to be men of the Word and of God. And then, uh, the elder who labors, it says, in God's Word, is worthy of double honor. Now, that's where they get the word honorarium, honors honorarium, or it's pay or compensation, if you will. The second part of the double honor would be respect. But again, there's not a pastor, I don't, I don't there's not a pastor that thinks that they have to, you know, get into a drill of people to, to gain respect. That's not what it's about. There's not, and there's also not, uh, I, don't, I hope there's not a pastor that accepts the calling with the idea that they have everything together. And I hope there's not a church that thinks that a pastor has it all together. Because when we get back together, I'll probably get to be the same man out of that because people know me. But what it is, it's still this kind of respect. And it's still this kind of honor of they were laboring through the Word of God. And I love what a pastor friend of mine says, it was purposely. I mean, we're working. There's no chapter or verse on how to manage or just say pastor an online church. How do you pastor? How do you encourage people when you can't meet with them? You know, it's just this one-on-one or this people going to sanctuary. It's just hard. It's difficult. So you're, you're managing, you're praying, you're asking God, you're meeting with your leaders, you're, you know, just trying to say, Lord, what do we do? I mean, the things we do today might... We invaded it. I don't know. Not, not the video stuff. I mean, our meetings and stuff because we don't know what really small holds, but we're trying to do what we feel we need to do. And so he says, you know, there's honor and respect that comes with that role. And then Paul addresses why the church is to take care of their pastors. Because the Bible says that we shouldn't 
says, you know, don't take everything that's in the gospel truth. That's so important. But again, especially when it concerns the church and its leaders, and especially as we're living in this, this era of fake news and this instant media and all the stuff that's out there, we've got to be cautious. I'm not saying we're trying to hide behind anything or pastors should hide behind anything. We'll see that in just a minute. But it's so important that we don't get caught up in believing the lie, if you, you know, because we've heard something. Oh, yeah, I believe why I heard this. What's it coming from? You know? And so you don't want to get caught up in believing the lie, or you won't get caught up in believing the lie if you never receive it in the first place. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 31 says, The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut out. Paul says, Let no accusation against the elder be listened to, for let it unless it is brought by truth to the other. That's quite simple. And again, he's not arguing for something that wouldn't be in his best of life. I mean, Paul, he had people, remember, he had all these false teachers that would come and follow him as he went from city to city. And Paul himself would say, You know what? You don't judge me. I don't judge myself, but he judges me. It's the Lord. There's going to be plenty of this stuff. We got to make sure we don't get caught up in it. Now, when Paul does go into, and he starts, uh, what he says is, watch out in a sense because stuff is good. Make sure that you have substantial evidence and then come forward. And then he moves into how to this, you know, what, what do you do when you discuss the discipline of this church leader? And it's kind of right out here. In verse 20, he says, Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may hear. Let me tell you, it's sad when a church member falls into sin and they must be disciplined. It's sad. Nobody likes to come out of this place and say, you know what, uh, we've got to be able to take care of business. You know, if you were caught in the fear, blah, 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 blah. But it's even worse when a spiritual leader falls and must be disciplined. I mean, for the leaders, when they fall, it has this huge negative impact on the body of Christ and on the witness of the, to the world out there because they've taken themselves into their own pleasures or whatever the case may be, and they have to be disciplined. So, unfortunately, many pastors, and myself included, have had to deal with such things, uh, you know, leaders being unfaithful. Nobody enjoys it. Nobody gets a kick out of it. I mean, I've had two, and I know other people that have had this sin before, all their congregation together, on a Sunday night, and just, you know, letting me know that, you know, the meeting is here, we're here, not because we're necessarily in a prayer meeting, we will pray, or we're not here to a special Sunday night where we're going to have this music and all, but we've got to discuss the failure of the church. And it needs to be brought out of stuff. That's the way we're dealing with it publicly and frankly, biblically. And inside, again, it's, nobody likes that because then all of a sudden it turns on, you know, people, you know, who are with you, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, it starts to gossip change. That's what we're trying to do. The thing is to deal with it biblically so you know about it. You know, and I, and I would uh, I would prefer, you know, so the scientists to, to be able to teach the word. And, and, and also, you know, being the, the level of the body, but sometimes you just have to do such a thing, and it's never easy, but it's necessary. It's biblically necessary whether something like that takes place. Now, there's a book that I recommend, Professor Joe Post reminded me of this. 
revisions, always restoration. Listen, we want to see people restored to the Lord. No doubt. Look, if God can save me, He can save, uh, you know, anyone. And He can restore, you know, a person. Uh, that, that's the goal. We want to see people restored to the Lord. No matter what they've fallen from, no matter what they've done, they, you know, we want to see them restored to the Lord. And then again, restore their, their spouse if that's possible. That's the goal. And their family, restoration. Restoration to the body of Christ as time might go on, you know. And restoration to service, I think, is so important because restoration, that's what it is. So the purpose must be to save the offender, not to drive them away. We want to make sure that we're saving him and doing the work that we need to do with him. And let me add this, in my opinion. If a pastor falls into sexual sin, he's never to be restored to the senior pulpit because he's not to be provided for. I don't think that's the case. Many, and I guess many, I think we take a different approach. I, I will. Our, our attitude must be one of love and tenderness, but then with wisdom. Galatians says this, and going back to talking about restoration, brethren. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted to bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, that he is nothing, he deceives himself. So if we're claiming to be spiritually growing in the Lord, I think we also need to claim that, well, I'm going to do the right thing. I want to stick to the code. I want to help restore. And that restore in Galatians 6 means that's the set of bone. That bone is out of whack. It's broken. You can see that it's been severed. We don't want to be casting stones. We don't want to be setting bones. We want to be the help, not a hindrance. We want to make sure that we help restore a fallen brother and or sister. And then he says here, rebuke in the presence of all as well. And what that means is that publicly, that we have, we have to have these meetings to let people know what's going on. This is what's happening. So hold back in the crowd, you know, hold it back. This is what it is. And, and you know, we think about publicly when Ananias and Sapphira were caused, you know, caught in their sin. They lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to God. And it brought fear upon the church. Acts 5.11, so he says, so great fear came upon the church and upon all who heard these things. They have heard it. What happened to the guys in Sapphira when they lied to God? Well, what happened? I'm not going to ever do that again. That's the idea. Verse 21, he says, I charge you before God and Lord Jesus Christ that the elect angels and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, without nothing, doing nothing without partiality. And so, Paul here commands Timothy. And it's very clear that he is supposed to do, to do what he does to lead us in the church without prejudice or partiality. It doesn't matter, you know, if it's your friend. It doesn't matter if it's your best friend. It doesn't matter if he's, uh, you know, bought you your, not your number one Christmas present. It doesn't matter, you know, if it's your brother-in-law, relative, family member. It doesn't matter if he's uh, uh, one who ties the most in the church. It doesn't deal with it. Don't have any prejudice or partiality. We're, we're, we're to come together. We're to deal with the problem. What it says to do. And 
I believe that Paul makes this strong point because he didn't want any room for Timothy to be able to waver in his decision. Timothy, this is the way it needs to be. When you grow up with a bunch like that spirit, it doesn't matter. And again, this is not the necessary decision when it's called for. We just have to be done. And then Paul moves into ordination. Look at verse 22. Selecting these new leaders, he says, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in uh, other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. And so, Timothy, just like in the church today, he's saying, You know, don't be so anxious to make sure you have elders. And especially, maybe in the case that he has to remove some, don't be anxious to replace them. Maybe there's nothing like that to do, you know? Um, even if, if some were in sin and you're not even out there, no elders. Listen, the, the greatest thing is we have Jesus as the head. And he's running in church, uh, you know, we have no elders, you have no elders. If you have an elder or two elders, and, or two couple of your elders, whatever the case may be, just keep Jesus the head. Smaller churches for years, you know, it's like, well, I don't have any elders. Well, just keep Jesus to him. All right. Operate under him. Let it be the head of the body. And he says, you know, don't lay hands on people quickly. You know, don't be hastily in this stuff. You know, we can't let need demand our actions. What does it mean? I've got to come up with something. You don't have to come up with anything. I don't have to come up with anything. You see, I've always held to these thoughts when looking at the uh, possibility of elders and pastors. There's a couple of things. Listen, it says, number one, if we or anybody comes out and just want to have elders or pastors because it's scriptural, or whatever, which it does, which it is, but they're not ready. It's not ready. Right? I mean, first let them be tested. Let them go through it. You know, but they do. If they're not, if they're not called by God, if they're not ready, it's not fair to that person. They're going to get, they're going to come, and the enemy's going to take advantage of them. He's just going to beat them up in more ways than one. And if they're not ready, they're not called. Number two, it's not fair to the body of Christ. And it's not fair to the body of Christ just by putting people in there. So you have people in there, well, he's like, man, he's a big guy, no scripture. It's not fair. So it's not fair to the body of Christ because they're going to have to rely on that person. And he's going to be the example of what they're looking to. They want to respect and want to honor that person. And I'll say this too is I think in every church we need to have men waiting, serving. And many times, I don't know if men are waiting for a call from the church office before they present their availability or what. Men need to make sure they're available. They're just doing the work of the ministry. Once they are doing the work of the ministry, then it's noticeable. There's no church vote has to take place, and then you can see the call of God upon their lives. And then look at, I think, verse 24 or 25, sum it up. Verse 24 says, Some men say things uh, that clearly seem to be as judgment, but those, uh, some men follow later. So it's going to be evident in some men, and you can clearly see what they're all about. If they serve the Lord, stop their calling, you can kind of see that, you know, trying to produce something that they shouldn't be producing. But they have wrong motives, they say, it's going to stand out. Let the first be tested. But they have good works, and they'll go through them too. So they're going through life. Where's it at? No church has to stop because of 
coronavirus and the regulations right now in the church, still ministry is taking place. We, you know, you can see the things that are going on. So, even today, to see people in that capacity fulfilling their role is so necessary. So, listen, you can't serve. Here's one of the issues that I think we see with men is this. An elder has to lay down his life for his feet. Now, I might be old-fashioned, but I think that this is all so true. You've got to lay down your life for the sheep, but in some cases, if God is calling you or has been calling you, many men refuse or they neglect to lay down their life to understand what that means. And you know what? You can't serve your life in Jesus. You can't serve your agenda and the, the, the agenda that Jesus has. But when you finally did lay down your life, let me tell you this, that you're going to be fulfilled. You know, it's not like uh, you can't do things, but it's like, you know, I can't breathe. I can't be in the church 24-7. So you need to be available for God. What does he have for you? What does he have for us? And then, you know, you're going to be in the most blessed place when you find out that you're, you're unhinged from this world and you're hinged to Christ and you know to Christ, whatever it is that he has for us. So laying down our lives, that's what we need to be. We're exactly following the example of Jesus when he said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and lay aside a ransom for many. That's the life that we're to live. So let me add this. I'll just say this. I want to add this. Don't wait for your pastor to tap you on his shoulder and try to get you involved. Just rather lay down your life and then tap your pastor on his shoulder and say, I'm here. What do you mean? That's what it's all about. Somehow, you know, if you're waiting for a call for me, you're going to be waiting a good long time. You're going to throw roots and roots in the couch. But you need to answer the call of God and then let it be known by hand available. Let's just do this stuff. What would I need? Let me just serve. And some want to know what it is that they'll be doing before they answer the call. I can't answer the call and just be in service because I have no idea. But. Whatever the Lord has for you today may not be in your mind or your picture, but He might be preparing you for what uh, what's there tomorrow. See, we're always worried about tomorrow. Well, uh, tomorrow, tomorrow, you know. Be faithful in the little things. And let me add this: Don't wait for the virus to be over. God is calling you. Let's speak of the internet. God is calling you. Amen. Well, you know, about only when the virus is over. The virus is over. You'll be busy, not even doing whatever you used to do before. Answer the call. Or, you know, answer the call. Look at verse 25. Likewise, the good ones are so clearly seen, and those that otherwise cannot be answered. Again, God knows the heart. And, and, and in time, so will everybody else. And so the idea here is to understand that your heart can be revealed by your actions. And so he says, look at it, likewise, in the verse 25. They will be. Oh, yeah, but that is the thing. Just get verse 23. This is not a contradiction in chapter 3. I know you think I forgot. Look at verse 23. It says, No longer drink, only water, but use a little wine for your stomach, stay for bigger company. Listen, um, Timothy was a guy who was traveling. He was going over, he's a missionary, he's called. And when you're doing this, you're drinking from often many water sources. And it may have caused him to be ill. 
what they would do is where they'd go is they would take beakers of water, a third of water, they'd mix it, you know, to kill the parasite in the water. It doesn't give Timothy the okay. Timothy, when you're under, he doesn't say this, when you're under a little stress, get a little further covered. No, he says, you see, this doesn't prove him to drink because it's like, oh yeah, they have a little drink. Rather, he has the infirmity because of where he's been called to. And the water and the wine and the mixture of the wine is still the parasite of the rainbow. This is not a little cool. Let me just wrap this up here. What does all this mean for us today? Number one, the church is going to. Uh, it's only going to be as strong as its leaders, the ability to trust that the Lord trusted to follow the Lord. We have to follow the Lord, and then that's important. The church today needs men who are willing to step up. And you know, you just don't clock in when, when the pastors and the elders leave, and they go, oh, he's retired, or maybe somebody's passed away. Oh, now it's time for me. Who now knows? So we do it the whole time. It's time now. I mean, whatever God has called you to do is that the next generation. You have to understand this. The same thing is when Paul is writing to Timothy 2,000 years ago, should be mandated all the way through the years that we come to year 2020, and we're looking at it now and saying, okay, what does this mean in my life? Lay that in life. We need to be willing to step up so the Lord can lead in church. We need to be men of the Word, men of good works, uh, men who will do anything that the Lord asks. We don't have an agenda. What do you want me to do, Lord? Here I am. Send me. You see, strong leadership is important. It's important for you. It's important for your children. It's important for their children. It's important. Strong leadership. So be praying for your current leaders and then your future leaders. In two areas, really quick. The reason for strong godly leadership is to see the church protect and uphold the things of the Lord. The next generation, the Lord would carry, would come up, somebody else pastoring the church. I pray that they are faithful to the Word of God. And that they're seeking God. Well, leadership included. They're seeking God. And they're just, Lord, what do you have? And then bring you the Word. But also, if you're here this morning, you're watching online, and you go, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, if we uphold the things of God, you're going to hear the truth. And the truth is that Jesus Christ died for you. Those of the world is benefiting from it because they're hearing the gospel message. That's a change. They're seeing the church means business. And they're also seeing and hearing that the only way to have this is Jesus Christ. And so you come to Jesus this morning. Put it on your whatever device you want to say, I want Jesus in my life. Look at all these. Let somebody know, I want Jesus right now in my life. Look at all these. But that's with strong leadership. It can go through the trials of life. So thankful for the leaders that we have. So thankful for the leaders that we have here. But you're here as far as the world benefits, and then also the church benefits too, because you know we're going to continue to grow people and our children, from our youth to our adults, men and women ministry. All these things we're going to continue to stay to the word of God and stick to the word of God. We're not going to be persuaded by the world out there. Doesn't matter if it's popular. If it doesn't come within these 66 books, within these pages of perfection, we don't need it. So, listen, the church isn't perfect, but the head of the church is. If you're waiting for the church to get perfect or find that perfect church, don't, you'll never find it. If you did, 
joining from Europe. So a strong church is going to teach the word with a clear gospel message that you have the opportunity this morning to receive Christ. Now, we always need that over. If you're a young man who's wondering, I don't have all the qualifications. Understand this, that God qualifies the qualifications. He qualifies them. Gideon was a guy like that. Gideon was a guy who was listening uh, one that God wanted to use the Gideon. We know that uh, the Lord told him, surely I will do it for Gideon. I will do it for Gideon. And don't worry about New York. Moses, I don't have anything to do with the church. Tell them the thing I am. Don't tell Moses. And what about David's mighty men? We think about David's mighty men that he became captain over. Can you imagine that? Hey, guys, who wants to serve? Uh, and then guys come forward. And who are they? There are guys who are distressed. Guys who were in debt, guys who were disconnected, they all gathered to David. And you know what? They were known as mighty men. So God desires to qualify the called. And he will make sure that you're qualified. And it is consistent. When we come in, we simply lean upon him, trusting in him for everything. That's the guys, David's mighty men. That's both, again, trusting him for everything. That's the men who God wants to do. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time, and remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.